Welcome, you're on air with Ella, where we share simple strategies and truths from people who are doing something better than we are. Whether it's wellness or fitness and fat loss, to just living better and with more energy, or changing your mindset to accomplish more in your own life and succeeding however you define it. This is where we share the best of what we're learning from the experts, and we're learning more every day. Live better, start now. Hey, you're on air with Ella. Guess what? Today we're having Dr. Ken Brown back on the air. His last show was episode 122, and it was one of the most popular shows that I've done on bloating, on gut health, and it included his botanical solution for bloating and digestive health, and that's called Atrontil. You may remember this because it was the beginning of an experiment with Atrontil for me. I even held a contest. We gave away 10 bottles of Atrontil to you guys across the globe. I mailed out a lot of Atrontil. <laughs> I have promised you a follow-up to that episode for ever to explain my experience with trying Atrontil, whether it helped me or not. And Dr. Ken and I have finally gotten back together to do just that. But you need to know that this episode will be 100% more useful if you go back and re-listen to episode 122. I know, I know, I know, I know, you're already here. But if you will go back and listen to 122 and then jump back into this one, you will get so much more out of this show because it picks up where that one left off and we go into an enormous amount of detail in episode 122. So if you can bear it, press pause and scroll back to 122 and then come back here. Okay, let's jump into today's new episode with Dr. Ken, but not before I thank today's sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Spider Grip. Right now and through the holiday shopping season, Spider Grip is giving us 47% off of their products, all of their products at spidergrip.com. You need to type in code Ella at checkout for 47% off. I actually went online a few days ago to buy their Anywhere Pack. It's a backpack. It's great for travel. I'm obsessed with backpacks. I don't carry a briefcase. I carry a backpack with me everywhere I go. And I entered in my own code. <laughs> And it basically was buy one, get one free because of the discount. So it was just delightful. I loved it. It was great. In case you haven't looked at it yet, and there is a picture in the show notes so you can check it out. The Spider Grip is this hand-sewn neoprene small pack for your phone, your mobile device. It keeps your ID, your keys, whatever you need when you go running or walking or hiking or skiing, and it doesn't bounce. So that's why I'm loving it. Like, I wish I found a sports bra as amazing as Spider Grip. Spider Grip, that should be your next product extension. Spider Grip boobs, Spider Grip sports bras. That is a genius idea. I wish my sports bra had as much no bounce as the spider grip. My phone's not bouncing around. I'm not getting caught up in the earphone spaghetti so I can run hands-free. It's awesome. I think you're going to love it, but it makes a great gift for men, for women, for teens, you name it. And at 47% off, you can just get one for everybody. You can believe everyone in my circle is getting one. Don't tell. All right, check it out. Spider with a Y, spidergrip.com, code Ella for 47% off. Okay, let's jump into part two with Dr. Ken Brown. Hey, everyone, you're on air with Ella, and you've been waiting a long, long time for this. I finally have back on the air Dr. Ken Brown to talk about bloating, to talk about my experience with Atron Teal, to talk about a whole lot of things. 
gut. Hey, Dr. Ken, how are you? Hey, Ella, thank you so much for having me back on your show. Man, I'm so glad to have you back on. You and I have tried and tried and tried to have a reschedule. (laughs) But you guys, Dr. Ken's a busy man, okay? He is a practicing MD, not just guest of On Air with Ella. Dr. Ken, will you remind everybody who you are and what you do? Sure. So I'm Kenneth Brown. I'm a gastroenterologist. That means I'm a specialist in basically all things digestion. My practice is in Dallas, Texas. I have been doing clinical research for the last 10 years with an interest in functional bowel and irritable bowel. And because of that, I developed this natural product called Atrantil that we developed to help people that suffer from bloating and digestive issues. So we are absolutely 1000% going to talk about my experience. And I really want to hear from listeners as to their experience too. So spoiler alert, if you have tried Atrantil after episode 122, I definitely want to hear from you about your experience. But Dr. Ken, everybody's been beating down my door for a follow-up, so we need to do that. And then we've got more to talk about together for sure. So let's do a little, little recap. First of all, The best thing to do is to go back and to listen to episode 122 because Dr. Ken dives into a huge amount of detail about gut health, about honestly, like everything from SIBO to methane gas production in the gut. And we really, really deep dive and we're not going to tread over that territory again. So that's going to be a really great preface to this show, Dr. Ken. But in general, in general, you and I talked about some of the common things that plague people's gut health. And then we talked about Atrantil as a solution for that, for potentially for some people. And then I tried it and you were kind enough to send us several bottles. We gave away, I think, 10 bottles, Dr. Ken, to the public at large. There were 10 winners and we mailed out Atrantil all over the globe. And sure. so a lot of people have been trying it. And you guys were kind enough to give us um, 15% promo code, which is still on the website. I'll link to that in the show notes as well. So I'm going to get all this housekeeping out of the way. Yes, you can get Atrantil. Yes, I have a discount code. Yes, it's at On Air with Ella with the show notes for this episode. So Dr. Ken, thanks in advance for that. Absolutely. You're welcome. Well, so I called you. We're going to be real. I called you and I was like, okay, so I definitely feel better and I am definitely not cured. And you were like, I, this is what I love about you. You're like, so let's talk about it. <laughs> so I love that. I'm definitely having a better digestive experience and I'm definitely not cured. What have you got to say to me about that? Well, the first thing I want to say is thank you for being really honest. This is what I want to hear back from people. We did not develop this to say, oh, this is going to fix everybody. This is the end all. I'm not selling snake oil here. I really, this is a moving target. The more we learn with people that aren't complete successes or even people that are complete failures, we can help more people. I'm still in the business of research. I'm still in the business of health. And by teasing out different little layers, we can actually learn more and probably develop Atrantil slowly. Maybe it'll improve or develop another product. Most importantly, this is essentially my practice now. I have people that come in, they have already tried it, and they made an appointment with me in person so that I'm there to try and figure out what's going on. And so I thought it'd be kind of fun that we could go through this particular podcast more as a clinician, less as a researcher, like we were talking about all the chemistry last time. This would be more of what I would do with a normal patient that comes in to make sure that none of your listeners will be missing anything. Not everything that causes bloating is what my product is for, is what I'm getting at. And it's important to try and figure it out. 
Okay. I think that's so important. And thank you so much for just being willing to jump into this with me. And just as a reminder to everybody, you developed, and I'm going to say this wrong and then you say it right, <laughs> but you developed Ashantil after sort of deep diving into some of the things that were being used in agriculture to deal with methane gas production in cattle, right? Is that kind of what kicked off the solution, the botanical solution that ended up becoming Autrantil. Do you want to remind us of that story? Sure. So super quick, I was doing clinical research on IBS and it was brought to my attention that if you have bacteria growing where it shouldn't called bacterial overgrowth, SIBO, and that bacteria produces methane, that is the root cause of everything. And then that's going to allow more bacteria to grow. And every time you eat specifically starches, it'll blow you up like a balloon. So we realized that there was really nothing out there that can help people that are producing this methane gas or even gas from these bacteria. So I went down the natural path and I discovered that they've been looking at this in cattle for many years. Specifically, they were trying to mandate that farmers put certain food products in the cattle feed to decrease the amount of methane production that they're producing in their ruminant stomachs. That was my aha moment. That's when we realized, oh, look, we're already looking at things like this. Let's just transition that science over to humans. And that's how we actually developed it. And so do a lot of humans have a methane issue as well? Yes. And so what we're learning and what everybody's now starting to realize, including my colleagues, is that most of the issues that we have been describing as functional or irritable bowel is probably related to bacteria producing the methane or hydrogen or hydrogen sulfide. Those are th the three main gases that are produced by these bacteria. So we now know that most of the issues probably come from that. Okay. And I've got to say that I noticed a definite difference in taking Autrantil with meals that I would have less of a reaction, less of a bloating response to meals. That sounds so attractive, but it's true. And when I say it helped and I'm not cured, I just mean that I have not seen my stomach in an entirely flat state in, I mean, I don't even remember how long. And as we've already covered, like I pay a lot of attention to what I eat and I exercise a lot and I don't feel like I should have to be dealing with bloating every single day of my life. Is that an unreasonable expectation after a certain point? Well, if you were my patient, we would have this conversation Every time you came back in, I'd say, yes, I'm glad you're better, but let's see if we can make you perfect. When I walk into a patient's room and I say, hey, how are you? How's everything going? And they go, good. And I'm like, nah, I want perfect. I mean, I feel good a lot, but you know how it is. There's times yeah. when you injure, you injure yourself and, you know, you're good, but you're not at your best. I want everybody to be at their best. I mean, that's my goal ultimately now. Is that achievable? Probably not. But we would like everybody at their best at all times. Well, I can't wait to talk about what some of the other factors in play might be. So let's remind us, please, Dr. Ken, what is Autrantil definitely good for? Like, you know this, you have the empirical evidence or you have the anecdotal evidence. Like, what is it definitely helping people with? So we know it's really good for three things. Number one, we did clinical trials on the thing that we're talking about, which is when you have bacteria growing where it shouldn't, bacterial overgrowth, or you have been told you have irritable bowel syndrome, we've got two clinical trials, which really show that four out of five people are going to have significant benefit from this. The second thing that it's really good for, we found this out afterwards, actually, is that those people that have gluten intolerances, 
if they eat some gluten and they feel bad, and I'm one of those people, and I was probably the first person to discover it, <laughs> if I have Atrantil with my meals, then I can have gluten and I have no issues. That was sort of discovered. I didn't even know why I didn't put two and two together. I'm a gastroenterologist, and here I am have more digestive issues than other people <laughs> that are actually seeing me. But it finally occurred to me. And then the third thing that it's actually good for, which is the overall health, there's now a ton of research that the molecules that we use in Atrantil, which are known as polyphenols, these polyphenols are the molecules that are in the good molecules in the Mediterranean diet on the skins of fruits and vegetables, those are actually the type of molecules that we use in Atrantil. Okay. We now realize that those go to your colon where the colonic bacteria break it down to beneficial things. And it's really exciting. You're going to be seeing a ton of people talking about it, and there's a lot of research out there. For instance, a very simple thing that we now realize why the Mediterranean diet is an anti-aging diet, it's that a molecule in there that very similar to the Cabracho gets converted by bacteria in your colon to an anti-aging molecule called urolithin. And that tells aging cells to die and go away. So on a daily basis, you can take it if you have food intolerances. And then for those people that have the severe issues, which is what I spend 90% of my time doing, it's for those people also. Okay, well, let me address something that I think is really important. I think how you take it and what your sort of compliance is like really matters here. And you guys were very clear about that with me. And that doesn't mean that I followed your instructions. So <laughs> you said for sort of therapeutic benefit, you need to take it how often? So for those people that have had this, these issues for a long time, and this is kind of part of my whole flow gram when I ask people, the first thing I say is, do you bloat? They go, yes, I bloat. And then I say, do you bloat after you eat? You're like, no, I'm bloated all the time. And then you can kind of tease out this little group of people that really what they're talking about is water retention, possibly functional constipation, or even just weight. I've had people come to me and they're like, look, I'm bloated now. And they grab their belly fat. And I'm like, mm, okay, <laughs> well, like, I'm not well. going to help. Yeah. And so then if they say, <laughs> yes, I do bloat. And I say, okay, well, do you bloat if you eat or if you don't eat? And if they don't eat, and they still bloat, then that's a whole separate animal. Okay. I don't really think we can help with that. And that goes down a whole different path. And we can talk about that in a little bit also. Okay, I'll flag that. We'll come back to that for sure. Yeah. And if you bloat with food and they say the key things here, yes, I wake up flat, I eat, and then I look about four months pregnant, then I ask a few other questions. Like, hey, do you ever notice that you have change in bowel habits associated with this? Yes, I'm constipated or I have diarrhea. Do you have a brain fog? Do you feel like you're just not firing at all cylinders? Do you feel fatigued? And then they just sit up and start going, yes, that's it. Why are you asking that? That tells me that we've got something inflammatory going on in the intestines, which could be bacterial overgrowth, could be a lot of other things, but I start going with the common things being common. So if you quack like a duck, walk like a duck, I'm going to treat you like the thing that we did our research on. And that's when we go to, okay, let's try this. Before we get all invasive, why don't you try Atrantil and let's try changing your diet a little bit. And just like you're getting at, the most important thing here is a little bit of patience. Every other type of treatment that I've ever done when we've done clinical studies for pharmaceutical industries, it's never a two-day trial. It's never one dose. Let's see how you do. And this is exactly the same way. If you've got bacteria growing where it shouldn't be, it's going to take a little bit of time to get rid of them, and it's going to take a dosing issue with it. So the dosing, very specifically, if you do that, if you eat food and you look pregnant, I want you to take two capsules 
three times a day for at least 20 days. And it seems like a lot, but what we're doing is we're changing the whole process and taking you back to normal before this all started. So the biggest problem we have when we, we have a hundred percent money back guarantee. And the biggest problem is that people say, I took it and nothing happened. How long did you take it? I took a capsule and nothing happened. And then they send the bottle back and you're like, dang it. Okay. We're, we're clearly not getting this across that it's almost like taking a round of antibiotics, so to speak. You got to really just take a round and commit to it. I have seen that most of my patients have a better response when they also change their diet to a gluten-free diet. And the reason why is not only is gluten, for a lot of people, they can be gluten sensitive, but we want to try and starve the bacteria a little bit. Bacteria Mm -hmm. eat starches. That's what they thrive off of. So if they're eating starches, then we want to take those starches out. You can look at a bunch of different diets out there. Maybe some of your listeners have heard of the FODMAP diet or the SCD. I have found that just by taking gluten out, you take away a lot of the simple carbohydrates that here in America we eat. So two capsules, three times a day, gluten-free diet, more than 88% of the time, most of the people get better. Okay. And I want to mention briefly the FODMAP diet and the SCD diet, just because some people might not know what we're referring to. And that's the slow carb diet. And then FODMAPs stand for a whole bunch of much longer words that I just can't even. Yeah. Fructo, oligosaccharide, monosaccharide. Yeah. They're just trying to name all the saccharides. Exactly. That's why you went to medical school and I went to the University of Google. (laughs) And I actually don't want to dive into those because I think that those are major triggers for people getting really obsessive about their food intake. And frankly, Dr. Ken, I want to be an advocate for people being able to eat relatively normally and have healthy lives. And when you're on a FODMAP diet, I mean, some people think it's fine. For me, it's like, okay, you can have tuna and water. Like, that's your diet. Because it's so restricted. So, 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 so restricted. Yeah, and you know, the one thing, I think one of the reasons why people throw that diet around is because the acronym is just so dang easy to say. That even my colleagues, I, I hear my colleagues all the time say, oh, we'll just start on a FODMAP diet. And I've asked other gastroenterologists, hey, what does that stand for? Do you know what's in that diet? And there's a lot of really good foods in the diet. So I'm not a fan of it. No, I um, mean, you can't eat avocado. You can't eat really. Throw ha- avocados in, yeah. <laughs> what kind of communist doesn't want you to eat avocado? I mean, no, so I just, I my, just can't. It's way, way too restrictive for me to advocate for it at all. I want to say this one thing because I gave this talk. I was at a summit out in Carlsbad last week, and it happened to be a ketosis type seminar. And one of the things is, is that if you look at the data, we're talking about the literature itself. When you go on a FODMAP diet, you get a 28% improvement in irritable bowel type symptoms. And then you look at the aggregate data on gluten-free, and guess what you get? You get a 28% improvement. Mm. So the data alone says that we can just take a little bit of gluten out, you'll have the same effect of going FODMAP. This could be argued by a lot of gastroenterologists because that's the diet that the nutritionists and everybody are talking about, but you and I are much more real life. That just doesn't make sense. Let's try and find some sort of happy median. And to me, just limiting the amount of gluten is sort of my happy median. Yeah, I love that because in all honesty, if I ate nothing but broth water and lean proteins, then yeah, my bloating would go down. But that's not like living in the world and eating and living a vibrant, healthy life for me. So, and I really, really want to help my listeners live a reasonable life where they're enjoying a well-rounded existence. If they can give up one thing rather than 55 things, then, you know, 
I'm in anyway. Okay, so we reduce gluten. I've also heard you say to reduce probiotics while you are in the therapeutic stage of Atrontiel or leave them out altogether. Can you comment? Yeah, so that all came from the original studies that were done in bacterial overgrowth out of Cedar sinai The thought, my logic is this. If you have bacteria growing where it shouldn't, add more bacteria, and this is the thought of Cedar sinai then that's like adding gasoline to the fire. You're basically putting bacteria there. Now, that being said, my logic is a little bit different. That is a possibility, but everybody that sees me has tried five, six, seven different probiotics already. So many of them come in and they're like, I tried this and I got worse. When I hear that, I realize, okay, you probably have bacterial overgrowth and you're just adding more bacteria to that little pile. So I'm not a hardliner on this, but if those probiotics were working, I would have left them on it. They all come to me and they're not working. So if you're taking them and it's not working, then why don't you stop? Let's reset your intestines and you can consider taking them again in the future. But all we're going to do is try and get the colonic bacteria where your bacteria live and thrive. That's your microbiome, the part of the organisms in you that help you live a better life. Those are supposed to be in your colon. We want to feed those and get rid of the ones that are sort of setting up shop where they shouldn't be. I'll remind everybody as well that we learned from Dr. Zach Bush, who you would love. You two should be best friends. You guys are both doing so much good in this world. And he reminded us that when you take the same probiotic over and over again, you're creating a monoculture. And so if you're going to dabble in probiotics, you should in fact dabble and you should rotate and you should not take them every day and you should hit them every once in a while and maybe take three different kinds, if any at all. And so what you're saying is while you're exploring the effectiveness of Atrontiel, just like take a time out. First of all, if they were working, you probably wouldn't be having this conversation about Atrontiel. <laughs> exactly. And secondly, take a break and see if this is going to be doing anything for you. That makes perfect sense to me. And you've told us that the therapeutic usage would be two capsules three times a day. Okay, that makes Correct. perfect sense. And I probably wasn't religious about that. And that makes me feel so lame, Dr. Ken, because that's not <laughs> hard, especially if you consider it like antibiotics or something. You know, it's not your fault at all. If you look at big pharma, they know that compliance halves itself at two times a day, and then that halves itself. So you have this exponential drop in compliance if you go to three times a day, which is why they spend billions of dollars trying to give you that 24-hour tablet, the once-a-day pill, only once a day. They really know that that sweet spot for compliance is just once a day. So it's not your fault at all. It's human nature. It's a little bit my fault. I mean, can I just throw this in my purse and take it with every meal? Now, let me ask you this. Every once in a while, I would eat something and then I would be like, oh, I was supposed to take that first. Is there any use or benefit in taking it, you know, 15 minutes after I've eaten? What's the story there? Absolutely. So once again, it doesn't get absorbed. So this just gets into your intestines and it goes through. And if you're producing gas from like a gluten intolerance, it works like a sponge and pulls it up. You can take it before, you can take it during, you can take it after. I always have it on me. And so I've done that all the time. So, you know, for the last five years, whenever I, you know, if I eat something, I'm like, oh, or if I want to splurge, I'm like, oh my gosh, that sourdough looks so good. Yes, I'm going to try it. And then I just pull it out of my pocket and take it. So it's, there's no hard line. When we did the clinical trials, we actually did it on an empty stomach and we found that people actually had better relief when they did it when they ate. So there's oh. something to it. Okay. So that's better. I mean, I was a bit lame about that. So that is an effort that I can definitely put into this again. And then if you're taking this 
for some of the benefits that you talked about, the polyphenols, the anti-aging, the general gut health benefit, I would consider that maintenance. What do you recommend for people who aren't trying to attack an acute condition? Most of the people that take this and they have a benefit and they feel better, they really are scared to stop it. And they're the ones, this big collection of people that I'm collecting data on, they're the ones that just say, no, I just take two every day and I feel really good. Oh, interesting. Two every morning is what I'm telling people, and that's based off the data that we're collecting. It certainly can't hurt and probably is doing some good by diversifying that. Zach Bush was talking about the biggest thing about our microbiome is we want it diversified. You want many different kinds, and we know that those are the healthiest people. They've looked at athletes. They've looked at people that have had diets that are very, very good, and they realize one common thread is their stool actually has this microbiome very diversified. Those people that are quite ill, they have a very narrow, they've got more of one kind and less of the others. This is one of those things where you just help feed that so that they, your own bacteria will figure out what to do with it. Oh, that's so interesting. Okay. All right. Now, let's talk about what you're seeing from people who come in and they say, I've been doing this. It moved the needle a little bit, but I'm still suffering. So these are people, as you say, come back for second and third rounds with you. What kinds of conversations are you having and what are you seeing with these people? I might be one of them. Let me go through what I would, well, I'm going to talk my own little mental flow gram. So what everybody's going to hear, there's no need for anybody out there to make an appointment with me because this is basically what I'm going to tell you. <laughs> um, it's pretty funny because this is, we start with that. Okay. Did you get some improvement? And yes, I got a little bit of improvement. And then I go, okay, let's rethink this. Maybe we can get some benefit from all of this. And I'll start by saying, remember, this is a moving target. So if somebody hears, well, why didn't they start with that? Why didn't they do this? I'm learning all this from feedback from people. We're learning to push the needle a little further every time by these little tips and tricks that I'm doing on people. So the first thing I'll do with somebody like this, I'll look at that and go, okay, what do we, how can we help this a little bit? If you got better, but it keeps coming back or it's there, is it possible that this is an IgA problem? What IgA is, Mm -hmm. that's an immunoglobulin in our intestines that gets rid of bacteria on the surface. So a lot of people may be having a low secretory IgA. And I was out at a conference in California and I met this fantastic Australian naturopath and she pointed that out to me. She goes, you know what? You could probably get a little extra bump with this if you add a type of probiotic, but it's not a bacteria. It's actually a yeast called Saccharomyces boulardii. And I said, okay, well, why? How will that work? She goes, well, that's what I've done my research on. That actually increases secretory IgA. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. So we're getting rid of the bacteria and we're telling the body to produce a little bit more of its own soldiers to try and push it over the edge. So that's one little trick I've been seeing on some people. So let me interrupt you for just a second. Would we look for the Saccharomyces boyardi and would we look for that as a probiotic? Well, technically, it's in the probiotic section, but it's not a commensal organism. So it isn't like we're giving ourselves what we're going to call good bacteria. It just happens to be a yeast that does this reaction where it helps increase the secretory IgA. Okay, I'm going to spell that properly in the show notes. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know who also turned me on to that? Was an author named Rob Wolf. I don't know if you know him. Yeah, absolutely. He's really big in the paleo community. Yeah, he contacted me and he goes, hey, I just want to let you know that, you know, when I took it, 
and I added a little Saccharomyces to it, I got a big bump. I was like, oh my gosh. And then oh, when sweet. I met this Australian researcher, I went, holy cow, that makes sense. Now I know why. So I'll get, actually, I'll give Rob credit for that one. Okay. He's the one that came back to me and said, think of using it with this. And now I've got this other researcher explaining to me why it probably works so well on him. Okay, that's awesome. What happens next? What else should okay. we be looking for? So then the other thing I ask is, do you ever notice that when you eat, do you feel a little stuffy? Do you ever have a rash? Do you ever feel like maybe you're having a, what I'm going to say, a histamine reaction? So we now know that when you have the bacterial overgrowth, it creates this leaky gut or intestinal permeability. And that can irritate these little mast cells down there. And these mast cells spill off histamine, serotonin, and these proteases. And that can actually be the connection to the brain-gut thing that's going on. So I try and tease out if there could be a component of that going on. Usually, if somebody has really bad bacterial overgrowth and leaky gut, there is a histamine response to it as well. So then what we want to try and do is, okay, well, how do we help out what's going on? We know that the bacterial overgrowth is creating the leaky gut. So we have to take the atrontial to get rid of that bacteria. But we also know that while that's happening, these little mast cells are being irritated. And when they get irritated, number one, they connect to the brain. And that makes people actually have that connection to having irritable bowel and depression, irritable bowel and anxiety, having all those other brain gut connections. And it can actually slow things down a little bit and cause more bacteria to grow. So sometimes when, if there's a hint that there could be a histamine problem, we want to try and treat some of that. There's a website that explains this really well. One of the better websites that I've found called Healing Histamine. Okay. And her name is Yasmina Eckelstein, I think. Okay. Super, super neat person. We've talked quite a bit and she's got a, I've referred a lot of my patients to her website to try and she explains it quite a bit better. She herself suffered from it. And that's when I had another like, oh, that could be happening to some of my people as well. And so now I'm adding sort of second layer histamine style treatments. When you said, are you having any kind of histamine response when you're eating? If somebody says, yes, yes, I am. What should they be doing wherever they are? So number one, probably talked well. Go to the website for sure. We're going to do that. Well, I have to do the full. We're getting into healthcare issues here. Obviously, uh, talk to your healthcare provider. I'm not giving medical advice. I'm telling everyone what I do with my patients. So, this is I'm not giving medical advice, is the usual enough. disclaimer. Yeah. So, I have to make that disclaimer. So, what they should be doing is make sure that depending on the amount, the histamine response is a, it can be all the way from just mild irritation to something called mastocytosis, which is an actual cancer where it dumps so much histamine. And then there's mast cell activation syndrome, which sits in the middle. So there's degrees of how bad this can be. And on one end, you can actually have a histamine producing cancer. And on the other end, it's just a little bit of irritation. So if it's really bad, you got to go to your doctor and talk about that because there could be more going on than just, oh, I'm going to, I have a little histamine. So we're going to talk about all the people left of the serious stuff. Okay, where, that makes sense. Yeah, where the gut is producing the histamine. There's a couple things that can be done. There's some natural ways to help it. One of them is with quercetin and luteolin. They actually help stabilize mast cells. There's actually skullcap and basilin have been shown to stabilize mast cells. 
Those are kind of the four natural treatments. And then there's a uh, couple medical treatments. One of them is using a mast cell stabilizer called gastrochrom. And then there's a antihistamine that the name escapes me, but I'll get it back to your listeners um, here shortly. Those two, usually, I don't use those very often because most of the patients that see me would prefer to try and stay a little bit more on the natural aspect. So I try and treat it naturally. Yeah. yeah. And I'll be honest with you. I had no idea this was a thing. So I just typed in the website that you said, Healing Histamine, Uh and she's got just a ton of resources. And if this is something people want to know more about, then let me know and I'll ask Yasmin on the show. But I had no idea, Dr. Ken, that this was a whole nother world. Yeah. it's. I didn't even know either. I got to be totally honest. I didn't know either. So but there are some people that are hearing this and they're like, yeah, that's my problem. And I didn't know that I could do anything about it. Okay. Yeah. And I've actually met Yasmin. She's super cool and very, just loves to talk about it and brings a whole lot to it. So there's a lot of people that are now becoming more aware of that aspect. Okay. Very cool. Okay. So by the way, in case somebody has no idea what we're talking about, if you have a histamine reaction, what does that look like and feel like Dr. Ken? So histamine reaction can do a lot of different things. The first thing it can do is it can actually create an inflammatory response, both on a local level. So you get this local immune response, and then you can end up with this systemic inflammatory response. The kicker here is that the inflammatory response actually increases the permeability. So it allows more of the leaky gut to happen. So a lot of the different symptoms that people have, like the brain fogginess, the feeling of fatigue, the the systemic issues could actually be because we are messing with those mast cells that are actually lying underneath, right underneath the cell surface where the permeability is causing it to actually have issues. In the people that have the bad histamine release, they will actually describe rashes. They'll describe getting very stuffed up. Mm. They'll have this feeling like it's like they're having a true allergic reaction when all they did is just eat something and they're not really allergic to the food, it's that these mast cells are just being thrown off. And so the histamine itself gets a pretty bad rap. And so I'm not trying to bash that. It actually has a lot of very important physiologic functions. It acts as a neurotransmitter. It regulates stomach acid, a lot of different things like that. But the key here is when these mast cells get irritated and they dump too much too quick. So I'm, not, I'm trying not to give the impression that we need to block all histamine. It's actually really important for us It's just, once again, when things get out of whack, so to speak. And when I keep talking about the brain gut, it's when the mast cell, we now know that you have a nervous system in your gut and a separate nervous system in what I'm going to call the central nervous system. So we have the enteric and central. Those mast cells and the histamine, they live right by the nerves. We now know that's the link from the gut, and it sends a signal from the gut nerves to the central nervous system, and that goes up to the brain, and then that releases inflammatory mediators in the brain. That's that brain-gut access that we've always been talking about. So in an IBS patient, we know that those people actually have increased amounts of depression, they've got increased amounts of anxiety. We now realize that it could be that it's because this inflammatory response being caused by your gut from the histamine actually creates that type of inflammation. So it's not that you're crazy, like many of these people feel like they are. They're like, I just, my, I go to my doctor and he wants to put me in antidepressants. It could just be that your gut's the reason for most of these issues. So a lot of different symptoms can show up. 
And that's why I love talking about this with you. So this is fascinating. Okay. So that is great to know. First of all, you talked about having an IgA problem and we're going to consider adding the thing I can't pronounce. <laughs> oh, the Saccharomyces S. <laughs> we're going to consider adding that to our repertoire if we're dealing with digestive issues. But then you said, if you are having a histamine reaction, this is something worth paying attention to. Now, I know many, many people have responded this way to a particular meal every once in a while. Like I remember eating some kind of maybe Chinese food or something, and I had a histamine response and I paid attention to it, but it's not a chronic condition of mine. You know, my son had an allergic reaction one time to a meal, and that doesn't mean he has like a systematic problem necessarily, but you're talking about people who have a histamine response frequently to eating? Yeah, to just, yeah, to just so many different things. And okay. there's a lot of foods that are more, I, I'm in full disclosure here, I am not an expert in this. This is not my field. I myself am learning it, and mm -hmm. thank goodness that there are people out there. Yeah. But there are certain foods which are higher histamine triggers and there's different uh, chemicals that can actually release more. Yeah, this is different. If you eat yeah. something and have an allergic reaction, that is a different immunologic reaction than what I'm talking about. Okay. This is more of these mast cells are just being stimulated by dang near anything that you eat. So. Wow. Okay. Well, this is a whole new world. I will link to the resources that we've mentioned here for people who really, really want to know more. Okay. Now. What else are you seeing? So we've talked about IgA. We've talked about histamine. What else is coming up for you? All right. So now all of a sudden they say, no, you know, I'm just still bloated. I'm, it's not working or I still have the fatigue and we're trying all these different things. So I realized that really four out of five people are going to get better on this. So that what we're talking about is that fifth person that walks through. So then I really have to start diving in and make sure that we're not missing anything here. And what I mean by that is now I become a true invasive gastroenterologist, we have to make sure that we're not missing, you know, cancers, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, all different kinds of things. So at this point, I'm talking imaging, I'm going to make sure that we do an endoscopy, we're going to do an endoscopy, we're going to do a battery of labs, and make sure that I'm not missing anything like Crohn's disease. I'm going to shelve that because that's at this point, that's where I really become a traditional gastroenterologist. And I'm going to make sure that we're not missing a lot of different diseases that we could spend the next couple hours talking about. So let's assume that all that's negative. So mm -hmm. now I've done that and I, you wake up and your colon's normal, your endoscopy's normal. So that's negative. Now is when I finally get into this thing where I start considering something called a breath test. So this is a, I'm a little bit different in the school of thought where a lot of people uh, may think, well, why didn't you just do that in the very beginning? A breath test is really simple. What this means is you're going to take either glucose or lactulose. And what lactulose is, it's an undigestible sugar. And all we're going to do is feed the bacteria. And if the bacteria break it down and they produce methane or hydrogen, some of it gets absorbed. And then as the hours go on, you will breathe it out. And that's called a a breath test or a bacterial overgrowth breath test. So that breath test, then you can show whether you have these different spikes. Now, the reason why I didn't do it right off the bat, and there's, there's a lot of people that may would have, they may have different opinions on this, but the reason why I haven't, or the reason why I save it to this portion of it is because there's a lot of heterogeneity in these tests and the sensitivity and specificity is not perfect. What that means is you can really look like you have bacterial overgrowth and I can do a breath test and it's, it's negative and I'm going to look at you and go, I really still think you have bacterial overgrowth. We're going to treat it. 
if I do it and you have a spike in methane, then I'm going to look at this and go, you clinically look like it. It's still there. Now we got to figure out why we're not getting rid of the bacterial overgrowth. Mm. If I don't have a spike and you're better, then there's lots of different ways. There, a recent consensus statement just came out on this by my gastroenterology experts, and they basically said, it's the best test we have, essentially. And take everything with a grain of salt and ultimately coming back to just go ahead and look at the patient. But let's talk about the person that has a breath test and they're positive for methane. And they're still not getting better. So now I've got somebody that I'm really convinced that they've got methane-producing bacteria, which is what we developed Atrantil for. They're not getting better. Now i got to look at this and go, okay, you've got some resistant bacteria. Or what I've learned is the bacteria are either too high up. So there's sometimes I'll get a breath test and there'll be a spike like right away. And I'll go, oh my gosh, our capsules aren't even dissolving at that point. Nothing's working there. I've had some success by having people open the capsules, mix it in with something, and then take it. Or even breaking up other antibiotics with it to see if we can get a better result. Sometimes I'll add some other types of antibiotics like neomycin or different types of azoles. These are all just little tricks to treat the toughest of the people. Sometimes at this point, we're looking at that and I'm saying, okay, maybe we need to use something like low-dose naltrexone or we want to consider adding erythromycin, which is a motility agent. I realize this person is just a really, really tough-to-treat methane-producing bacterial overgrowth uh, patient that we just need to be a little bit more aggressive with. So now we're getting way out of the natural area Mm -hmm. and we're adding pharmaceutical agents to see if we can get some benefit from it. So those people, that's a moving target as well. Fortunately, I don't have that many people like that. And is that the group that we said we would talk about, which is they bloat whether they have had food or not? No, that's the group that really was from the very beginning. They bloat, they eat food, they feel full, they have, they look like they're pregnant. They're just not responding to any of the treatments. So that's the person that I really believe has bacterial overgrowth. I'm just not winning yet. Okay. So, and that sounds like it really needs a practitioner who knows what they're doing, Dr. Ken. That sounds harder yeah, to, at this yeah. Point, yeah. At this point, it's pretty tough. And that's, unfortunately, that's, you know, I, I do see a lot of this. I should say, I see a lot of the people that feel like they fit this profile, but fortunately we can get most of them better. And I've only got a few people that I'm still working with on that end where they're still positive and we just can't seem to get rid of it. Okay. Now let's do talk about that group that bloats with no food stimuli at all. What is that about? (laughs) So those are the people. So now we're talking about the bloating. So I'll talk about uh, a few of the things that I have actually encountered. So we've got the people that uh, let's say that their breath test is negative and I truly trust that it's negative and they bloat all the time. Now I'm start looking at some different things. What are we possibly missing? Is this maybe a gallbladder issue? Frequently gallbladder stuff kind of gets missed. And so I want to make sure that it's not a a gallbladder that uh, is slowly smoldering. Could this be a smoldering infection somewhere? That could actually be something like diverticulitis, which I found. And all these things that I'm talking about, I have found in people. So it isn't, I'm not, this isn't speculation. These are actual diagnoses that I've discovered where I went, oh, The bloat person could actually have some anatomic issues. This Mm. is very surprising, but I've had a few people that I don't think I would have looked for this 
or let's just put it this way. I haven't started looking for it until the last couple of years. And now I've found several people. There is, I've had several people that have come to me and your intestines have certain ligamentous supports, so to speak. So your omentum and your colon are kind of spot welded to different areas of your abdominal wall. So you can stand up and everything stays in place. I have had a few people, shockingly, that they lay down, they're fine, and I've examined them and I'm touching their belly and I'm feeling and I'm listening and everything's normal. And they go, I know, but watch. And then they stand up and all of a sudden they're, they just distend completely. And then I, I percuss it or I tap on it and it's just full of air. I lay them back down, it goes away and there it is. And I've gotten some x-rays in some of these people. And shockingly, what's happening is their intestines are flopping down on itself. And Ugh. that's a mechanical thing. It's very interesting. And I've found three people. And the fix for that actually is a surgical for that. And they're better. But I never would have looked at that had it not been for like, what are we missing kind of attitude. That's sort of my goal here is like, I'm missing something. It's my job to try and find it. What causes that? That's structural then, yeah? It's structural. Yeah, it's very interesting. And I was speaking with a surgeon. He goes, we don't really know why it actually happens. It can be due to a lot of different things. But it's the same thing that could happen when you have a hernia, let's say. Something just kind of gives way and the ligament support just isn't enough anymore. One of the theories that I have is that somebody may end up with something like a bacterial overgrowth or they get a bad infection. And then you end up with this big distended belly over time just wears down the ligament support and then it just kind of gives way and then flops. You're never going to win on that person because every time they stand up, it just flops out. So I want to make sure that's not going on. You said that you listen for that. You observe it. How could somebody maybe check themselves out for that? Is that possible? I suppose it could. There's, you can, I suppose you can enlist the help of a friend and be like, please listen to my belly. <laughs> exactly. So when I, what I mean by percuss is we talk about a tympanic abdomen, tympanic sort of referring like you're going to tap on a drum. Think of it like this. You know, when you're the old school way of trying to find a stud in the wall, we used to just kind of tap on it. Yeah. And what you do is in medical terms, you put a finger on the belly and you tap on your finger. And if it's air, it'll sound like a drum. It'll sound hollow. And then when you find something solid, like an organ or stool, then it's a dull sound. So what I do is I'll just percuss around and if it's dull all around and they're like, no, I really blow it. It's awful. I mean, my clothes, I can't fit into it. And I'm like, but I'm not hearing anything. Then I'll stand them up and percuss again and realize that it's all air lower and something has fallen down. I'm not saying that this is a common thing. I'm saying that I found three Mm-hmm. And I never would have looked for it had we not been trying to figure out, you know, these are the toughest of the tough cases. But then so, they have to have surgery? Well, yeah. So, they, I mean, we're getting, we're jumping a little bit ahead. These particular people did, but they were desperate. I okay. mean, they, you know, they were flying in from different parts of the country and they're like, just, we got to figure something out. And so in this case, yes. Then I got some special x-rays and it gets a little more complex than that. And we, we didn't just send them to surgery right away. It just confirmed what I was thinking. So... That's probably very few of the listeners out there. So okay, I don't want to spend enough. too much time on that. Yeah. Now, one of the things that I do want to talk about, if you're a female, it's just something to keep in the back of your mind that bloating can actually be a presentation of something that really needs to be looked at, you know, fairly soon, which is any type of ovarian or omental problem. And I'm talking about early cancer 
can actually present with some bloating. So at this point, I'm also going, okay, we need to check a CA-125, which is a tumor marker. We need to make sure that you see a gynecologist and we need to make sure that you've had a CAT scan at this point to make sure that your bloating is actually not being caused by a non-GI issue, which could be gynecologic or it could be fluid somewhere. So we need to keep ruling out the bad things. Okay, you said ovarian and what? I missed the second word. Ovarian and omental. Omental. Yeah, you have an organ called the omentum, which is filled with fat and blood vessels. And it sort of, uh, it's like an apron over your intestines. And the omentum can actually have cancer similar to ovarian type cancer. And it can affect the motility and it can create lots of bloating there. So I always keep those two in mind in the back of my head because I found a couple of those, not many, but a couple that I always want to make sure we don't miss. I'd hate to think that I'm, you know, chasing down bacteria the whole time and then realize, oh, we've been sitting on something which is a little bit more and I haven't been listening, that it wasn't associated with food. It was keeps getting worse. So you got to be a little bit aggressive about that and just make sure. And I don't want to scare the listeners. I'm just saying this is the thought process that you got to make sure that you at least, you know, look at everything so that there's not a bad outcome with any of this. That's fair. Is there anything people should be looking for if they have that concern particularly? So like you, I don't want to scare people and say it could be gluten and it could be cancer, you know? And, and so is there anything that would, they could pre-screen or that would give them any indication that maybe they should have that checked out? And it sounds like, you know, the process of elimination, but is there anything that you know, if that is a concern, you should actually be looking for? Well, I think that generally speaking, you just make sure that you have your annual exam with your gynecologist. Okay. They always have that in the back of their mind. They're always, they're screening for certain cancers all the time. And one of them will always be ovarian. So if you have any bloating, discuss it with your gynecologist and they'll be like, okay, let's just check this real quick to make sure. And they'll be able to rule that out fairly quickly, or at least keep an eye on it to make sure. Okay. Yeah, I'm speaking, if, if you have a gynecologist listening, she's going to be like, well, duh, this is what we do all the time. But as a right. gastroenterologist, that's down my list. So, Well, and if you're me and you just put off every appointment until the end of time, <laughs> then this is inspirational, perhaps. <laughs> Motivational, if you will. Okay. And also, a lot of times, we go to our practitioner and we don't even really know why or what we're looking for. We just go because we're supposed to go and we got the postcard that says it's time. So I just think this is really, really useful that, and it, it allows the power to reside with us, at least even in the form of questions, in the form of asking. Absolutely. And there's nothing wrong with saying, oh, I heard, I heard this podcast, they had this person on, he was talking about this. Can you explain that to me? And I would say that contrary to what a lot of people think, at least people, I mean, most doctors I know, I love it when I have a somewhat informed patient that came, comes in and they're holding like, listen, I got this off WebMD, I got this whatever. I'm like, oh, awesome. We have a starting point. We can work with this and I can explain or try and you know, clarify any points that you didn't understand. So I think now most doctors are really welcoming, oh, I heard this. Can you explain this to me kind of thing? Okay, very good. All right. We have talked about IgA. We've talked about histamine. We've talked about <laughs> potential for ovarian trouble or omental problems. What else should we be considering? So now we've got, now we're way down in the path. Now I still have a patient that keeps coming back and I'm like, okay, well, we need to get what's called a capsule exam. Now a capsule is a cool little piece of technology that has a camera on it. It's the size of a pill. 
you wear a remote transmitter and it will film the whole area of your intestines that I can't see with an endoscope or a colonoscope. And that, once again, is just to make sure that I'm not missing something really unusual. And in this case, I found all kinds of things. Oh, my I gosh. Found, oh, I found three carcinoid tumors, which is a cancer, separate target. We found strictures. I found occult celiac disease, occult Crohn's disease. So I'll end up doing a capsule. So now this, you know, and this is the type of person that's been seeing me for quite a while now. Now we've done this capsule exam, which is a cool piece of technology. And if I find something great, we treat it. Finally, nothing else is there. I have added a brand new uh, weapon to my arsenal that I'm probably in my own mind going to be moving it up soon to be done much earlier. A company called uh, Vibrant Wellness is a lab company that has come up with some really cool gut-specific labs called Wheat Zoomer and Gut Zoomer, and they'll analyze the stool and all this other stuff. Um, I've just recently discovered them, and right now I kind of have them way down on my list because I'm, I'm learning myself more of what they can do. But that can actually look at some really cool stuff like non-gluten wheat sensitivity or the proteins in wheat. You can do a food sensitivity test at this point and go, oh, Ella, as it turns out, these seven foods you're just sensitive to, no matter what we're going to do here, you've got a lot of IgG, IgA with it. Those are the immunoglobulins that your body's always looking for and try and react to. So my whole thing at this point is that'll really tell us if you've got leaky gut, if you've got a sensitivity to gluten, if you've got non-gluten sensitivity. So I'm going to be moving that up, but for this for our purposes here, that's something else I would be thinking about. Is that one of those companies that you can do the stool test in your home and send it off to them and then they send you the results? Or is it something a practitioner has to do for you? I don't know. I don't know what their business model is. I'll check it out. There are some other ones. I think Viome, V-I-O-M-E, he's doing some really cool stuff. And I have a lot of um, colleagues who have really kind of had some fun uh, doing that. I just came back from California at Dr. Pompa's conference. And I noticed that he got, uh, he sent his stool in for that. So he's learning. So there's some really cool stuff where a lot of uh, practitioners are starting to realize that they can start looking at themselves and learning a lot. So, okay. That was Viome. Uh, V-I-O-M-E. That's got one it. of those that I know for sure you can send your stool in. And who and doesn't want to do that? Who does not <laughs> want to do that? Actually, it's not that bad. It's not that big of a deal. Okay. So vibrantwellness.com I'm going to look into and I will share with the listeners, myself, um, after in the notes for the show, and then Viome.com, I'll do the same. But yeah, you can absolutely get enormous amounts of information by doing some self-testing. So it's not the best hour you'll spend all week, but it's also not the <laughs> worst thing you'll ever do. And it, it offers so, so, so much information and something your practitioner can work with. Right, Dr. Ken? Exactly. And this is like one of those things that we could when we sit there and look at this, like you and I were talking before about how you were um, in the Midwest doing a triathlon. Well, I have a lot of endurance athletes. And one of the things that we discover right away, it's that the supplements that they're taking while they're competing have a lot of fructose in it. Yep. And so a test that Vibrant can show, you can actually look at something like this, or I'm sorry, not Vibrant, but there's other companies that are looking at fructose intolerance. You can just go, oh my gosh, you're just fructose intolerant. Or maybe you have, you're lacking an enzyme called sucrase. I'm working with another company where we're trying to develop a test to determine if you've got a sucrase deficiency, meaning you can't break down sucrose, which is glucose and fructose, 
And that's what's actually causing all the issues. So at the very beginning of the show, I said it's a moving target. I mean, it's really a moving target. I'm being contacted by companies all the time now going, hey, what do you think of this? Is that a possibility? Like, let's find out. So I just need more time. And I think we're going to start doing some studies where we can really try and throw stuff out there and say, hey, we'd like to try this, do this trial of uh, we need 20 people that bloat after they eat these types of products. Can you contact me? And then we can try and do some of these tests by these companies where they're actually paying for it and we can get a lot of information. Okay. This is really encouraging because while we would all like the magic bullet that solves everything and we can stop there and that's it. Life is fabulous and all is rainbows and sunshine. The truth is that we're organic. This process is very often organic and iterative. And for me, it's definitely iterative, but this gives me hope that there's so much more information and people like you that care enough to keep diving deeper and diving deeper and diving deeper and figuring out exactly what is going on. Is there anything you want to leave us with that we haven't talked about yet? The only thing is at the bottom of this whole thing, it all comes down to nutrition. So I'm just going to leave it with that, that all health begins and ends in the gut. So if we can learn to really dial in our diets, I think that'll help the majority of people. Well, and let's talk about that for a second. I know I'm trying to be punchy and wrap it all up with a nice bow, but that's a tall order for some people. So I think it'd be so useful. And that feels very overwhelming sometimes, Dr. Ken. But I love the way that you talk about it. And I'd like you to tell people what you mean when you say that, because you're not talking about living like a monk and legalizing you know, certain types of food and never having other types of food. Like what is your general food philosophy? If you'll share your point of view with us. My general food philosophy is really simple. The more colorful your plate, the healthier it is for you. So if I take my staff out to lunch, they get an award for who gets the most colorful plate because we know that you've got the most amount of diverse nutrients in there that your body will figure out what to do with it. So that's uh, I'm not a big fan of simple carbs, the refined foods. If you open a package, it's probably not mm -hmm. something that's good for you. But a lot of people have lifestyles, which are a little more difficult. So that sounds like a great starting point. I mean, <laughs> I have this little theory, and that is that if we just move to eating things that are actually real food and people know what that means by now. But if we just ate real foods, you know, 75 to 80 percent of the time, it would revolutionize the health of the Western world. I just I mean, I firmly believe that it sounds like you might also. I do. I actually believe that as well. So thanks, Dr. Ken. I appreciate you so much. And I can't wait to check back in with you again for after I do a couple of things after I am utterly, completely compliant with the exact instructions <laughs> that you have offered me. And I can actually do that. And um, doing it over the summer when I also went on holiday was maybe a little bit uh, optimistic of me. <laughs> so I can't wait because you know I'll continue to try and you know I'll continue to tell the truth. And then as you just learn more and more and reach out and network with people who are also interested in this, I just feel like you're going to really change the world for the better. And I just, I'm really enjoying watching it happen. So I can't wait to talk to you again. All right. Let's keep in touch. Ella. Thank you so much. We covered a lot of ground today. I know you're <laughs> going to have to go back and listen twice to this one guys and take some notes. <laughs> All right, Dr. All right, Ken. Ella. Thank bye, you. Bye. bye. Okay, everyone, I hope you enjoyed today's show and got something out of it that you can use. If you did and you want to learn more, just go to onairwithella.com where I put up links to all of the good stuff that we talked about today and more information about our guests and all the good stuff that you did not need to write down today because I got you covered. 
Don't forget to join our Facebook page and thanks for those phenomenal reviews in iTunes. Every great review helps and we read every one. Thanks for listening and thanks for inspiring me. You are quite simply awesome.